Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3. If it was God's intention or not his intention that man would sin and that man would die as we learn what all went wrong in the garden and how our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, and also available by searching for the Friendship with God podcast on iTunes.com, Friendship with God podcast on iTunes.com. All there available for free listening and free download on both sites, friendshipwithgod.org and iTunes.com. Now, we have several teachings to offer you as our resource of the month. Tom Cantor is our amazing Bible teacher, and we have some small, pocket-sized tracts and teachings to help you grow in your faith and in your prayer life and also in your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the titles of the resource teachings we're offering are called How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53? How to Pray for the Lost? How to Pray for the Saints? And What Kind of Love is God's Love? Now, these written resources from Tom Cantor will teach you valuable and simple Christian lessons to improve your friendship with God. Now, Tom Cantor himself talks about how the story of a Japanese boy helped him to understand the meaning of Isaiah 53 in his teaching, How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53. Tom will also teach you how to pray for your lost friend and how to pray for your friend in the faith with his teaching on how to pray for the lost and how to pray for the saints. And finally, Tom Cantor will show you in a Bible track how God's love is honest, giving, inviting, patient, but is also a love that can be rejected. But it's also a love from God that you can pass along to a person you know with the Bible track, What Kind of Love is God's Love? All of these teaching resources are yours for a donation of $10 or more to the Friendship with God radio program, which will help to support this program staying on this station and airing in your city. So call us now or after the program to obtain these teaching resources from Tom Cantor at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Again, a donation of $10 or more. You get all of these resources from Friendship with God and Tom Cantor. 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org or go to our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org to get lots of Tom Cantor's resources as well as creation resources as Tom Cantor is the owner-operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. You can go to friendshipwithgod.org to learn more about Tom Cantor or go to creationsd, that's SD for San Diego, creationsd.org, creationsd.org to learn more about the Creation and Earth History Museum, including our upcoming Museum Day on Saturday, September 27th, with speakers like Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Eric Hoven, and many others. So call us at 800-247-3051 for more information, 800-247-3051. Here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 3, if it was God's intention or not his intention that man would sin and die, as we learn what all went wrong in the garden and how our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell. Lord, we come to you because we really are so afraid of pride in our hearts and we're afraid of thinking, Lord, that we stand because we know your word says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And we don't want to fall, so help us this morning, Lord, as we study this passage to understand how our first parents fell and help us to take heed to your word as we study now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, now here, let's just follow along. We're going to read again this first six chapter, first six chapters, first six verses in uh, Genesis 3. You ready? Okay. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, that's a serpent, the serpent said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said, big mistake, and the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Very important chapter here. Here is chapter 3 of Genesis. This is a great chapter of two really subjects in here. This chapter presents to us tragedy, great tragedy, the most tragic, you could say, by a chapter in the Bible, tragedy and hope. And so we need hope. If your life, you feel like your life is tragic, you need hope, this is what the doctor ordered right here. This, this chapter is tragic. There's just no other word to describe this chapter. It's tragic because we've seen everything leading up to chapter 3. It's good. The first two chapters of Genesis were good and good. And God says, very good. And it was good for man. Everything was good for man. Man had, what did he have? He had everything. He couldn't have been better off. Man couldn't have been better off. He was happy. He was surrounded with light and, and life and beauty and and peace, everything was set for them, for Adam and Eve there in the garden. And just like that, just so suddenly, everything changed. The happiness became misery for them. The light was turned to darkness. Their life became death. Their beauty was changed to repulsiveness. And all that peace that they have, it was just their lives became strife and conflict. It all happened just like that. So suddenly. And since then, the world has just been on this downward course since this time here in Genesis chapter 3. What happened? What happened? And how did it happen so quickly, so suddenly? Well, God sums up for us Genesis chapter 3 in one verse. And I want you to turn to it. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Turn if you would. Wherefore, as by one. As by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin, so death passed upon how many? All men, for that all have sinned. Now, according to this verse, there was a point in time, as we've seen, when sin entered into the world. It entered into the world. Yes, that's what happened. And up until that point, up until that point, was there, there, there was no sin in the world. And after that, there was sin in the world. There was a specific point in time, a time in history, when before that, sin was not in the world. After that, sin was the norm in the world. It was the norm in the world. And according to this verse, what did sin bring in? Death, right? Death. So what can we call death? 
We can call death a consequence of sin. It's a consequence of sin. There was a point in time, even though it's hard to understand, but there's a point in time in history when there was no death in the world. And then there was a point in time when after that death was the norm for the world. Was it ever God's intention for man to sin? Yes or no? No, it wasn't. You all seem real convinced. (laughs) So let me just state it. It was never God's intention for man to sin. God did not want man to sin. It was never God's intention for there to be death in the world. God never intended for man to die. He's the God of life. He's not the God of death. So what do we learn from Romans 5.12? There was a point in time when sin entered into the world. Before that time, there was no sin. After that time, sin was the norm in the world. There was a point in time when, as a consequence of that, death became the norm. There was this time when death entered in. It was never God's intention for man to sin. It was never God's intention for man to die. But this verse reveals a very important principle. A principle, was pointing out as we're reading it, a principle of how many? The principle of how many? How many men did it take for this awful state of sin to enter the world? Where he said it? It just took one man. It just took one man, and he brought sin into the world, and as a consequence, he brought death into the world. That one man's name, Adam, our first parent, our first father. How many people sinned after Adam sinned? All, for that all have sinned. Did the fact that you and I sinned, did that make us become sinners? No. Sin did not make us become sinners. We sinned because we were already sinners. That's the point. How many people after Adam did death pass on to? How many? All, all. Death passed upon all men. When my grandfather, Rabbi Kantorovich, that was his name, when he left Lithuania because of the pogroms in Russia... Uh, I left Lithuania. Why? Well, because I left in him, even though I wasn't born. I left in him. When my great, 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 great to the many powers, grandfather Adam sinned in Genesis 3, I sinned in him, even though I wasn't born. Why? Because I was in him, and so were you. And so that's the principle of community headship. Community headship. What do you think about that? Community headship. God respects community headship. The head of the community represents the community. The head of the community of Adam or the head of the community of natural man or man born to man was Adam. When he sinned, he represented the whole community of Adam or natural man. And his sin It counted for the whole community. We're a part of that community of man by our birth, our our first birth. We're part of that. But the community headship also works for, thank God, another community. Another community. What's that? Well, look down at verse 17 in Romans 5, 17. So Paul is continuing on this theme of one. As, as we saw, and he has very long parentheses, several verses, actually, <laughs> very long parentheses. And in verse 17 through 19, as part of the parentheses, he said, For if by how many? One man's offense, death reigned by how many? By one, 
okay? Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by how many? By one, Jesus Christ. New community, new community. Therefore, as by the offense of, by one, and that was Adam, judgment came upon how many? All men, there's the community, to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of how many? One, again, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by how many? One man's disobedience, that'd be Adam. How many were made sinners? Many. Many were made sinners. So by the obedience of how many? Of one shall, how many, be made righteous? Many shall be made righteous. See the emphasis there? It's all about, that's the emphasis that he's going It's all about this community headship. The one person represents many. The one head of the community affects all the members of the community. You and I, by our physical birth, we're part of the community of man. We don't have a choice. We're part of it. And so death is passed on us. We're all sinners, therefore we sin. We've all sinned, and as a consequence, we all die physically. But if a person, any person, joins the other community, the spiritual community, he will not experience the spiritual death or hell, eternal hell. That other community is the community of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone can become a member of that community. Anyone can become a member of that community by being what the Bible calls born a second time, born again, receiving him, John 1, 12, as, as the Lord and Savior, receiving him, believing on his name. Now, because the one head of that community, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was righteous, unlike Adam. He did not sin, unlike Adam. And as a matter of fact, he even paid for the sins of Adam and his community. And so therefore, everyone in his community lives forever and never experiences spiritual death or eternal hell. That's why it's so important for us to love the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important for us to be friends with the Lord Jesus Christ. To cling to him because he knows everyone intimately in his community and everyone in his community knows him intimately. Now, this is such an important principle here and that's, that's, and we must understand it. Now, go back now to Genesis 3 because we really want to study this chapter very, very carefully because we want to make sure that when we leave these few verses here that we're going to understand two things, or actually the chapter. We're going to understand what went all wrong and how did our first parents fall and how can we avoid that? And more importantly, we want to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the one who was offended. He was the one on whom the great offense was, and what did he do? That's so important. So a simple overview of this chapter can go something like this. When you look at verses 1 through 5, that's the temptation. 1 through 5 is the temptation. When you look at verses 6 through 8, that's the fall. Then you come to verses 9 through 13, that's the questioning and the defense of our first parents. When you come to verses 14 through 19, that's the judgment and the sentencing. The judgment and the sentencing. 
when you come to verses 20 through 21, that's God giving hope and mercy. Hope and mercy. And in verse 22 through 24, that's God preventing hopeless despair. Hopeless despair. Okay, you got it? That's an overview of this chapter 3. Now, we start off in verse 1, and we see an amazing thing. We see a serpent, and not just any serpent, this is a talking serpent, a talking serpent. And we're told that the serpent was more subtle, more crafty, more crafty, it says, than any other beast. And we understand that this isn't just a serpent, but there is an unseen spirit There is an unseen spirit that has inhabited the serpent. And this unseen spirit is the devil. We already saw that in our last lesson. We saw the history of Satan and the devil. He wanted to make his throne above God. He wanted to be greater than God. He had these aspirations. So he hated God. And he hated God's glory. And he hates God today. And he hates God's glory. And he's envious of man. And he wants to destroy man. He wants to take away his happiness. That's Satan's goal, to destroy man. He wants to take away his happiness. That's Satan's goal, to destroy man. How is he going to destroy man? How can Satan destroy man? He can't do it directly. But he figured out a way to destroy man. He figured out a way to destroy man. It's very interesting. And because there's a very interesting history of the Jewish people that shows, parallels Genesis chapter 3 here, in Satan's strategy to destroy. It's the history of Balaam and the Jewish people. Turn, if you would, to Numbers chapter 23. Now, look, in verse 7. Follow along here with this desire of these two people, Balaam and Balak, to destroy God's people. And he took up, verse 7, 23, verse 7, he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me, this is Balaam speaking, hath brought me from Aram, out of the mountains of the east, saying, come, curse me, Jacob. Come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? How shall I defy whom God hath not defied? For from the tops of the hills I see him. From the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them altogether. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? And Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place from whence thou mayest see them, but the utmost part of them, and shall not see them all. And curse me them from thence. And he brought him into the field of Zophin, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And he said unto Balak, Stand here by thy burnt offering while I meet the Lord yonder. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said unto Go again unto Balak and say thus. And when he came unto behold, he stood by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What hath the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent for what he said. And shall he not do it? 
And hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless. That's important. I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord is his God with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink of the blood of the slain. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. All right. Now, Balak, the king of Moab, has hired Balaam, his prophet, to curse Israel. And Balaam wanted to curse Israel. He wanted to curse the Jewish people, and he tried very hard to do it. But he couldn't do it. Why? Because God wouldn't allow him to do it. God would not allow him to curse Israel. In fact, he said, I got a commandment. God's blessing Israel, and so he had to bless him. And he said in verse 8, Inasmuch as I want to curse Israel, he said, How shall I curse Israel? Whom God hath not cursed, and how shall I defy whom God hath not defied? So now you turn, drop down to chapter 24, Numbers 24, verse 25, and it says, And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went to his place. So it looks like Balaam and Balak gave up. They said, Well, how can we do what God doesn't want to do? We better give up. We better go home. And that's what it looks like, because they couldn't destroy Israel with curses. But not so fast, because the next verse in chapter 25, Numbers 25, verse 1 through 3, says this, Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and they called, that'd be the daughters, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their God, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods, and Israel joined himself unto Baal-peor, the idol, the false god. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So it looked like Balaam was out of business with destroying the Jewish people because he couldn't curse them directly. But we see he wasn't out of business at all. What did he do? He had a strategy. He had a strategy. Turn to Revelation 2.14 to get a description of what the strategy was. Here, Revelation 2.14. And he says, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. There's a doctrine of Balaam. What is it? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit whoredom. Fornication. So here he is. So Balak has hired Balaam to curse Israel. He couldn't do it. And so what does he do? He teaches them to, you know, here's Israel. They're walking along and all of a sudden they just stumble. And what was it? It was sexual sins. He taught, Balaam taught Balak, you go get the most seductive Moabitess women that you can find and you put them on a mission. You put them on a mission to first sexually hook those Jewish men 
hook them, and then you have them do the Delilah routine. You bring them, you get them, says, well, if you're one with me, you need to come into my temple and my religion, and you eat these things that are sacrificed to the idols, and you bow down to them. That's what he did. And what was the end result? We already saw it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Well, Satan is like Balaam, Balak. He's like Balaam here. Adam and Eve are like the Jewish people. Satan could not get God to curse Adam and Eve. Why? Because we already read in Genesis 1.28, it says, and God blessed them. So he didn't curse them, he blessed them. So what did he do? The same thing that Balaam did here. Get him to sin. Get him to violate. Remember the first principle. Don't make God mad. Get him to make God mad. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor in the Friendship with God radio program today. As we mentioned at the start of our program today, we have several resources that are available for a $10 or more donation from Tom Cantor. To obtain those resources and more information, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org to our online bookstore, Now, also, our Museum Day is coming up at the Creation and Earth History Museum. To find out more about that, go to creationsd.org, creationsd.org. Or call us with your donation or support or inquiry about more information at 1-800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org to donate, to purchase materials, or to download free resources from Tom Cantor. You can also find Tom Cantor available on Facebook. You can search for Friendship with God, Tom Cantor, or Israel Restoration Ministries and find us on Facebook. You can receive Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse right there on Facebook. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051.